This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host, Russ the Big Guy. Hi, it is Russ the Big Guy. I'm a lifelong entrepreneur who is very familiar with the struggles and successes related to running a business. I know it is definitely worth the struggle. The freedom and unlimited potential keep me moving forward, fueled by my why. Aligned with that is my desire to share with you, the entrepreneur and aspiring business owner, entertainment, information, inspiration, and even transformation into an even more amazing entrepreneur and human. To those ends, please enjoy this episode of Going Boldly. All right, listeners, this is Russ the Big Guy. I am up in the penthouse studio here in our podcast studios. Interesting guests today. I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. I want to welcome you all to this. Uh, this is all about uh, immersive, interactive entertainment in the real world and, and also in the virtual world, uh, given the fact that Meta now exists. Um, and uh, um, it's made, uh, you know, virtual environments known, I guess would be to say, to the unaware masses. So we're going to discuss all of this and more with our guests who are both going boldly. First, I'd like to introduce Greg Shumsky. He's president and chief creative officer of Acorn Entertainment Group Incorporated. It's a transmedia storytelling and themed entertainment design company. Lots of words in there. Greg is the visionary behind Jackalope Junction, the world's first steampunk Western story park. Now, if you want to find out any more about those two things, in addition to what you might learn today, um, you can learn about Greg and Jackalope Junction in episode 20 and learn more about Acorn Entertainment and Jackalope in uh, episode 28. Our other guest today is Vince Kudlubik. And he is the founder and director of Meow Wolf, an arts and entertainment company. And they create immersive, interactive experiences via the House of Eternal Return in Santa Fe, the Omega Mart in Las Vegas, and Convergence Station in Denver. And you can also find a little bit more about Vince and Meow Wolf in episode 18 of Going Boldly. So welcome, guys. It's great to have you here. What have you guys been doing since we spoke last? Thanks for having us. Yes. I appreciate being here. Thanks for having, having me again, Russ. I'll let, I'll let Greg start. Greg, what, what have you been doing, man? Well, for me, I've been working on just trying to get Jackal Junction off the ground. We've been talking to some investors, still doing a lot of the concept development work and uh, talking to a lot of people about it and spreading the word and hoping we can get this off the ground sooner than later. So big plans to be at IAPA uh, this year to talk about it and meet people. And, and, uh, and there's still people coming to us to help with concept work. And, and it's really just keeping the ball rolling. That's really the big thing at the moment. Awesome. Yeah. I've, um, it's, been a, it's been a really crazy month, couple months for us. You know, a big push to get the Denver exhibit open, Convergence Station. And we opened in uh, the middle of September. Um, and it's been so incredibly well received. Um, next, next level, next level experience, next level immersive art. You know, far and beyond. I think what what anybody else is doing uh, in in the space right now. So, it's it was great to get to that finish line. Five years of work went into the Denver exhibit, and uh, so to now have Vegas, Santa Fe, and Denver all open um, has has been just a massive milestone for the company. And now it's all about the future. So there's been a lot of like thinking 
um, you know, ideating on where we go next, not just physically where we go next, but like, where do we go as a company next? So it's, it's exciting. Where do you go? Like you sort of, uh, in a way, kind of reached a pinnacle there. I mean, are there some ideas that are bouncing around that you can talk about? Well, you know, we know there's some fundamentals that we, we know. Um, one is that like these micro experiences have the capability of, um, working in many different markets simultaneously. Um, it's not an amusement park model where you do one for the region or you do, you know, one on the East coast and one on the West coast or something like that. Yeah. These are, these are like small two to three hour experiences that are very premium and very high level, but they, they, they can work in any city. And even if, even if you're a three hour drive from a, on a different meow wolf, like, you know, you might be in St. Louis um, and you may already have, you know, a, a project that's like, like us, but if, but three hours away, we could, we could open something, you know, in Kansas city or in Louisville or something. And, and it's probably going to work there too. So we're looking at a lot of different locations and a lot of different sites to continue to expand, um, obviously the, the, the permanent exhibition model, but, but, but of course, like we're also a storytelling company. So there's a lot of like, uh, thinking around how we tell story and it's, it doesn't need to just be in the physical location-based venues where story gets told. Um, and then, and then of course, if you're not a technology company in the 21st century, then, then what are you doing? So there's, there's that whole side to the company as well that we, we are, we're thinking about is how do we utilize the, the supercomputers that are inside of everybody's pockets and, um, and, and generate even more story opportunities or even more experiential opportunities via technology. So, you know, it's the, that's, that's kind of the, the large overview of, of the different areas that we're looking at. So Vince, I know that you also have your own company called Spatial Activations. How does that work for you being involved with both companies and, and like, do you both have the same mission or, or is your business set up to do something different? Well, I, I have a, I have a personal mission in my life, which is to populate the world with as much awesome imaginative stuff as possible. Um, and I'm really committed to the physical world just because I think the physical world has been ne neglected over the past 30 or 40 years and rightfully so like there's obviously so much opportunity in the world of digital. Um, but, but now I think people are so um, hungry for real life physical world uh, imaginative experiences. And so my mission is similar to Meow Wolf's mission, um, which is really inspiring creativity in people's lives. So I have the opportunity, I've had the, the privilege of being able to work with Meow Wolf and being a founder and a board member and a consultant to Meow Wolf, being able to do a lot of stuff with Meow Wolf. They've, they've given me freedom to also start to look uh, towards other, you know, other clients and other projects. So through spatial activations, I, I tend to work primarily on creative development of early stage concepts that fit into some amount of physical space and um, helping content creators, you know, really understand the physical location space yeah. and the cost involved and the logistics involved. And, and, and that's that. So, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently taking on clients and, and um, helping, helping that side of things. I also work with real estate developers who, own own properties and they have no clue how to get their property to be attractive to the to the general population and so i kind of help them understand better what type of content they need in order to drive football i don't know if we talked about this before or not but one of the things that kind of blew my mind was the 
disappearance of Toys R Us. And I thought that this company had all the parts to be able to create a destination, like an immersive, um, experiential destination based around um, their name, um, Jeffrey the Giraffe, and however they wanted to expand on that, which would include retail sales. And it, I mean, it's like they could have done so much with it. I'm, I'm a little confused as to why more people, more companies don't like seize on this, um, this movement, this opportunity. I mean, Greg obviously does. He gets it. I mean, that's a big part of what he wants to do uh, is that experiential you know, interactive part. Right. You know, the, 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 it's interesting you bring up Toys R Us and, and I don't want to, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole about that and spend hours. Talking. I could, I could go on and on and on about all the mistakes Toys R Us made and, the main mistake is that they had a really great brand. They had something that was what we could have called a hundred year brand because they've been around since we were kids. Right. Yeah. Uh, and they could have taken that and really expanded on that and created a fantastic place for families to come buy toys, have parties like the Canada version did eventually, but what they did it. And it's the same thing with all these retailers that, are these large companies and they're so ingrained in what they've always done and stuck to that. And if it's not broken, why not? Why fix it? Uh, and that was the attitude they had. So it worked for them. It worked for them. Worked for them. In a minute, we start having Amazon come out and all these other online retailers and stuff. And people thought I could buy toys online and save time and I have to get the kids in the car and go down and spend gas and this and this and this and this. Yeah. They didn't make it attractive. It's the same thing with all the malls that are going dead. We have a, a fantastic shopping mall here that was around for ages. That was a cutting edge themed entertainment mall called Horton Plaza. And you know, the retailers, when they first came in, they themed out their stores. They themed out the exteriors. It was a fantastic place with this Italian European architecture. And they had live music and live entertainers and the whole nine yards. And then they just stopped. And the stores didn't do the same thing. And people stopped going because it wasn't an experience anymore. And, and Toys R Us could have stayed ahead of the game. They had the money to do it at one point to look at how do we make the store? Because what they did eventually is they broke up into the boys section, the girls section, the kids RS section, the babies RS section. It became too much. It wasn't a good user experience from the minute you walked in the store like it was when they first opened. And they didn't keep that ball rolling and the excitement going with becoming this place that you really wanted to go to and experience. And that, that's, that's really what went wrong. So guys like Vince, who has these fantastic uh, experiential dream spaces, like, like Convergence Station and stuff, you know, people go and they don't know what to expect. And they walk in, it's like, holy cow, it, it blows their mind. It, people's minds are blown when they go into, into these Meow Wolf uh, installations. Because they don't know what to expect. Uh, Vince says it's a two to three hour thing. I think people probably stay longer, and and it is a premium thing. But I don't. Well, think and, there, and there's and there's this thing like around experiential retail, which is which is it's funny, because everybody's talking about like how retail needs to become more experiential, but ultimately, you know, even if Toys R Us was to become had become more experiential or kept their experiential, uh, you know, momentum going. It's still it's still about selling a product off a shelf that you need to hold in inventory and hope that someone like 
And so what Meow Wolf did is we just cut the retail out entirely. And we said, if, you know, rather than being experiential retail, let's just be experiential. Mm -hmm. And like, that's the pivot that Toys R Us should have made. They should have said, like, anyone can buy any toy they want online, you know, easily from our website, from any website, from a simple Google search. So instead, let's create the most amazing toy experiences inside of this space. Don't worry about selling product. Just charge people an admissions price at the door. And there, there's a there's a there's a huge philosophical or you know kind of paradigm shift, you know, mental paradigm shift that I think a lot of retail needs to make, which is kind of admitting that the product is not of value um, to the to the consumer, that the experience is of value, and the way that you capture value from experience is by charging an admission price. Yeah. Well, not only that, but you want to get people to come in and leave with something besides uh, a product that's going to break down in three or four months. You want them to leave with amazing memories that makes them want to come back again and again and again, that they could not believe what they did. And for us as adults, you tap into those memories we had as kids, right? And and when you do that, it it creates a whole new market. Yeah, the nostalgia, the lasting memory passing it off to passing it on to your kids once you reach that generational uh get over that generational um barrier and the people who were kids who love something now have kids of their own you now get this like perpetual uh economy where the parents have to take their kids to the thing that was magical for them when they were kids you know and it's the disneyland effect you know and yeah so i think what what Greg's doing and what 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 we've discovered at Meow Wolf and really I think cracked cracked the cracked the the egg on is is this just directly bring experience to people's lives that's creative and it doesn't need to be based on previously known IP. You can in fact people want new IP. They want to experience new IP. And that's another thing that I really appreciate about appreciate about what Greg's doing is it's introducing new IP to the world rather than just trying to rehash the same stories that have been told for the last 30 years, you know? How long is a uh, concept going to remain viable? Uh, especially like you're talking about, there's a place for some smaller things, right? So if your customer base is local. Yeah. So for us, it's, we're designing Jack Logue Junction to be almost an everything to everybody. And what I mean by that is, you know, we, we do want to have some pre- loaded stuff happening before the park opens with books and shooting for an animated series and trying to to get you know marketing more or less that way uh but it's got to be a place and joe Rody did a great piece on instagram recently about being able to design things that aren't inherently based off the ip so he called star wars land you know edge of space galaxy whatever and he called pandora giant jungle world and yeah stuff you got to be able to get people in that can they could come into Jackalope Junction and not have an inkling of what it is. And the minute they walk in, they go, oh, I'm in something completely I've never been in before. And then they can enjoy the day without knowing anything about the characters. And they can have a nice lunch. They can watch a show out on the lawn. They can have a picnic. They can go on some of the attractions. And as they're doing it, they start learning the story. They hear things about the story about Jack Lip Junction and the, the mine cave accident, you know, the mining accident, and all these other things we've got intertwined that you can't miss. It's like going to Old Town San Diego or if it's going to Williamsburg. You know, you, you walk in, you don't know a lot about, but boy, you, you know a lot when you leave. And uh, we want to be able to be 
something that the locals want to come to. So we're going to do Friday and Saturday night date nights for, for cheap. And we're going to have giant hoedowns in a, in a barn that we're going to have there that people will come to. And we'll have other events that locals will want to come to because they're locals, they pay less and so on and so forth. So we make it all, you know, instead of going to dinner at the pizza place, they come into the park, they pay a little bit to get into the park and they pay a, a discount because they're a local at the pizza place or whatever we have. And then we have the vacationers. So we have being at the mouth of the Grand Canyon, there's 5 million people that go through Williams, Arizona. So of that, we expect to get so many people, maybe half. And of that, we're, we're limiting ourselves to, through reservations and through so many walk-ins, around 3,000 some odd people a day, the number we're shooting for, because we don't want it to become overcrowded like Disneyland. You know, you go to Disneyland and people pay now 250 bucks to get in per person, which is beyond ridiculous. But the problem with Disneyland is you get before COVID and before the reservation thing they, they were doing now, you just get too many people in there. You'd be in these long lines. You see these families that aren't happy. You'd see angry parents, crying kids. We don't want any of that. So we're trying to keep it where it's uh, not only small enough and personal enough, uh, but like Vince was saying also, is it's got to be a good enough experience that these parents have brought their kids there and the kids get involved and do some really cool things that no other park really does. Yeah, like the sheriff school or something like that. And and what happens is that kid that now when they're an adult, they bring their kids and then they bring their kids and they bring their kids and they bring their kids. And we continue going on this pattern. Yeah. How do we, how do we serve the local community? Because we want to be a good neighbor. We don't want to shut them out, but how do we, how do we go after the people coming through that have taken their kids to the Grand Canyon and the, and the kids go, yeah, this is really great. It's a big hole in the ground. We went to Arizona and we got to see the bears. Now what do we do? And we're working with other people there in Arizona and Williams to make it a kind of a destination that people could be at for two, three, four days. Yeah, that all makes sense. Vince, what what are you considering either with Meow Wolf or through spatial activations with your consulting um, to kind of address the idea of, um, I don't know, maybe just saturation in a particular market, right? If it's not a destination location for tourism or what have you, then it stands to reason it would be the same people who would come back again, right? Would Like how many times can they go back? I have friends who live in uh, who live in California near like Knott's Berry Farm or whatever. And if we go visit, they don't even want to go. You know what I mean? They've just been there so many times. They're just sick of it. For sure. Yeah. And I think um, there's, there's a few things here. I think we have some comps. There are some things out in the world and in the United States, City Museum is a really good example in St. Louis that is a remarkable micro amusement park or micro experience that has been around now for a couple of decades. And we can see their numbers and we can see where their numbers plateaued. And we can also see that the numbers are not going down. And so then you, you start to ask yourself, well, why is it? St. Louis is not a big tourism market. Um, it's probably... Uh, primarily locals that are going to city museum. Uh, another data point that you can look at is children's museums in general, science museums, children's museums. Um, they consistently do solid numbers, uh, solid enough numbers that anyone can enter that market and make make it work financially. Why why does a children's museum continue to have you know, consistent numbers in the multiple hundreds of thousands uh, without adding many new things and having other children's museums 
you know, just a few hours away in other major cities that, that look a lot, a lot similar. And the answer is kids, 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 kids. The world is so boring to kids, the physical world. And it's even more boring now that they have access to video games and smartphones and iPads. The physical world is dead. It has rules. It's fixed. It's not discoverable. It's not interesting. The physical world is dead to kids. So if you do anything that's interesting to kids, then you're going to have repeat visits. Kids are really special in the sense that they can do the same thing every weekend and not get tired of it. And many people who have kids who yeah. have watched Frozen over and over again or <laughs> whatever it is, like oh, yeah. they can do something over and over again. They also, the thing about kids is their, you know, their, 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 their ability to retain memory is limited. So they might do something at age five, but by age seven, they've, totally forgotten about it or they have some some version of it that's not actually what it is and so going back makes sense and there's and then the last thing i'd say about kids is that there there's always more kids that's it's never stopping so there's always a new group of six-year-olds there's always a new group of 10-year-olds in the world and so um you know but 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 far far too often the world of finance and economy and business the world of adults ignores kids just flat out ignores them well i think you've you've explained that very well i mean and i've had this conversations with just local organizations that i've been either involved with or consulted with or what have you and it's and i try to explain to them you need to have a, a kid component because of all the reasons you mentioned and then additionally when kids come, they bring their brother and or sister, um, mom and or dad or dads or moms, right? Um, grandma, grandpa, <laughs> cousin Billy, you know, the kid that lives next door who, who's always hanging around at the house. And they always bring an entourage pretty much. And so you're, oh, sure. you're guaranteed extra extra sales, you know, with every kid and, that shows up. And, and to, go that, even, to go even deeper into what kids are looking for and how you design for it. Cause, cause yeah. too many, uh, who I, who I, you know, the clients I have, they're adults yeah, and they're adults don't know what, you know, they're, they design things for kids from the perspective of an adult. Why do they and forget kids, Vince? Why do they forget? We've all been kids. I mean, what, they, what has yeah. our society done to them that they just don't remember? I'm still 12, so I haven't forgotten. <laughs> well, the, the honest, the, the answer there is that adults build a massive apparatus of of knowability, of, of knowing yeah. called the identity. And we we create it out of fear and and out of and out of mitigating risk. And so then we design from a place of knowability yeah. and the world of physical construction in the world of finance and the world of code compliance and legal and all of these things are obsessed with knowing everything and so what adults have a, have an inability to design for is the unknown and what kids want is the unknown they're t- they they're tired of the physical world telling them what to do telling them how it is telling them what kind of rules there are they want to just explore and discover and, and, and that's, that's oftentimes where I focus largely on with clients is like, don't over-operationalize this, like let, let it happen naturally and organically and let exploration and discovery be at the core of your experience. 
Um, and, and adults want to over-program. They want to over-operationalize. They want to over-control the experience and say, now we're going to go do this. Now we're going to go do that. Just let kids explore. Like, that's it. Well, and that's the point. Exactly. My uh, sister-in-law, they have a son who's now 14 or maybe 15, and uh, our nephew. And when he was little, whenever he acted up, give him the iPad. Give him the iPad. Give him the iPad. That's what they did to shut him up. It wasn't, hey, go out in the yard and play. It was, here's the iPad. And it really, there's this whole generation of kids that age that were deviced, let's use that word, that don't know how to explore and are afraid to explore. And well, Greg, I would, I would disagree. I don't think that they don't know how to explore. I think that they're exploring endlessly on their iPad. It's not the iPad's fault. Yeah, like, but not exploring the way that you and I did. Yeah, but even so, like too often we we want to point towards the devices as as the evil. The devices are actually the only thing in kids in kids' lives that are bringing them the opportunity to explore and discover. Because the physical world has 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 institutionalized itself with no ability and with rules and with with all of these fears that the physical world isn't interesting to kids. So I oftentimes say like, stop blaming the devices. Like instead, and you're doing this, which is awesome, work towards building stuff in the physical world that can live up to the experience that kids are having on their devices, you know, but we want to just be like, oh, there's too much technology. There's too much, too many devices. Kids are on their iPhones all the time. Well, then let's create a world that is worth that kids actually want to live in. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's what we're doing. I want kids to come into the park. I want them to explore. I want them to be set loose and just have a, to the parents, a safe environment, but to the kids, a place that's not the same every day. If they come one day after the next, after the next, it's a different different experience. Or if they come every couple of years, whatever, from rocks they can climb, you know, to uh, just explain. If you look at what was kind of cool about Toontown at Disneyland was that they had all these different things kids could do that were exploring. They could do rope climbing, uh, like the even the um, the wilderness thing they have, uh, California Adventure and the wilderness trail that they have, and there's all the rope climbing and the rope bridges and all sorts of stuff kids can do. You have to create physical spaces that kids could do exciting adventures. You just let them go. Let their imaginations run wild. Set up the story. Here's the bad guys, or here's this, or here's this. Have at it. And the kids just go nuts. And if they have a chance to explore... It's not only physically explore, right? Versus on the on the device. And you're right, devices are great because it opens up a whole new world to them. But if they have the chance to physically explore and do things that kids naturally want to do and have an adventure, it creates so many abilities in them as they could become adults to not be afraid. Not uh, they will. They're willing to take risks. They're willing to do stuff that you and I are doing, right? Uh, there's so many people today that don't take risks because they were just too afraid to, because they were afraid to stand on top of that rock and jump off of it. Or well, as kids, we'd stand on our friend's roof and jump off of it into their pool, right? I mean, kids don't do that today, but we did We did some crazy stuff that could have probably killed us back then, but we survived. Kids have to be known that they have the freedom to explore and really have a whole new part of their lives that they've never had before because the the parents were too afraid to send them out into the world to let them do something. My attorney just called. We wanted to make sure that that everyone's clear that we are not endorsing jumping off the roof into the pool or anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, we're not. <laughs> no. 
Yeah, you know, there, 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 there became a real like obsession in, in the eighties, nineties, and up until now. I think like along the same lines as the development of, of, of suburbia and the growth of Disney. I think where like there's, there was an obsession with American culture that happiness was the only thing worth striving for. It was like happy meals at McDonald's or the happiest place on earth is Disneyland, and it was like. And then you ended up having these like these really boring, restrictive things come out of that, like, you know, pop, like pop music on Clear Channel and and, you know, just the the aesthetics for kids ended up being even just the aesthetics were confining and were controlling. Like you you can only have the, you know, throw, throw, you know, organized religion into the mix and and. And the the and the dogma and morality that plays its part through themed entertainment and other places, and it's like even even the places that are designed for kids to explore and discover, they're only allowed to explore and discover within this small little slice of life. It's like they can't explore darker themes. They can't explore weirder, you know. And I think that that's what I'm probably most proud of with Meow Wolf, is that we had the courage just to treat kids like adults. Yeah. And give them the opportunity if they want to explore darker themes, if they want to explore uh, weird, moody, uh, psychedelic things within our exhibit, they have the freedom to do so. And and they they know they can register that. They may not be able to articulate it, but they can register that they're given freedom uh, in in a much broader sense than they're, than they're usually given in most you know in most consumer facing experiences. Yeah, you know, and that's the same thing that we're doing too because I don't. I didn't want to create a story and a group of characters that were all, uh, you know, and, and I appreciate Mickey Mouse and Goofy and all these other, all these other characters, but I really wanted to create a world that was as realistic as the world that's around them. We have our main character whose parents were killed when he was 10 years old, right? How did he overcome that? He's, he's born without an arm in the 1800s. How does he overcome that? We have, a, a town that was this rich mining town that has a massive mining accident and kills 13, well, we think kills 13 of the miners. People that live there have lost loved ones. How do how do they overcome that? Some have overcome it to a point uh, and some have not overcome it. And you're going to meet these characters that have overcome things and, and grown from them. And you're going to meet characters like Mom, Pa, Gertie that never overcame the loss of their two kids from the mining accident. Uh, and it's really about, you know, the world is not sugar-coated and we can't make everything saccharine sweet for kids to protect them. We have to allow kids to experience things and learn stories that's going to help them someday when something happens in their life that the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, the whatever, the loss of a love uh, that they can adapt to and they can overcome and they can move on and and grow from and that's that's kind of what the whole idea behind jack Lope junction is it's you know we want to be able to teach kids about respect and responsibility and accountability and all these great values but at the same time we want to show kids look life isn't perfect and and you have too many of these parks where it's music and like ben said you know everything's everything's happy well we want to make it a place where yeah there's some joy going on but there's this darker story to jack Lope junction there's a darker story to the mining town that it was once. There's a darker story to all sorts of stuff that people can explore and find out about. And 
you know, we don't say that there's probably this, uh, you know, this kind of evil force under the town in these caverns, which might be, you know, we don't know. Uh, but we want to be where it's, it's like real life. You know, and one of the things that you had mentioned before, Greg, you had mentioned, um, you had talked about that discovery process with your visitors. And I thought that was pretty interesting because you had mentioned that some people can come in and uh, just enjoy the park on its face and others can do the discovery part of it or enjoy the discovery aspect and, and find out more about the stories. And maybe there's other activities and things that are involved with that too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then that's what, uh, that's what Vince was talking about too. It's like that ability to discover without the rules and limitations and such. So it's kind of like a similar, right. a similar thing. Um, because we're talking about immersive and interactive, but at least immersive, the immersive part of it. And it seems like there are a variety of activities that people already do. And, and that immersive aspect seems to be a really important part of it. Like a really good television show, you really, you're sucked into it. I've seen people who are really into sports that nothing else exists for them, except like they're all in on this football game. If someone is reading a book that's very immersive for them. And so they're not really connected to the outside world. They're immersed into the activity that they're doing. And that seems to be a commonality. And I was kind of wondering like how that ties in that concept, because that seems to be an ongoing a need, or it's something about the human psyche that that is a big part of activities. I think there's a need for people to escape for a little while from the drudgery of life. You know, some people have jobs they go to 10 hours, eight hours a day, 10 hours a day, every single day. It's the same thing over and over and over again. And they want to escape. You go to a football game with your favorite team and the team does well. And when we were kids at school, we had recess. People need a recess. They need that moment where they don't have to worry about the bills. They don't have to worry about, uh, you know, the deadline on the project. They don't have to worry about anything, but they can escape for a moment from this thing we call life and, 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 and experience something in life that touches on all their senses, right? So that, at least that's, you know, from my understanding, I mean, I did... I did UX for 20 years, user experience design for 20 years. And, you know, I looked at ways to develop and design apps or websites or enterprise portals or whatever it was that took, that didn't do things the normal way that people were used to doing them in order to create a better experience even for them on their job. And uh, uh, it's really about how do you, how do you find that one thing that makes their life just a little bit better for a little while because that's the most I think we can do, you know? And, and, and I'd say the power of experience, experiential uh, and immersive art and imagination from the owl's perspective is, um, you know, not just creating this, you know, moments of escape from the drudgery of life, but instead creating opportunities for the actual nature of life to be reconsidered. Because like if you're just creating Disneyland style escapes, then 99% of a person's life is drudgery. And then 1% is an escape away from the drudgery. What, 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 what we hope to do is create experiences that when you leave Meow Wolf, you actually now have a new appreciation for the 99% that used to be drudgery. That that, that is a mission or um, that's a real uh, ethos that anyone uh, in the world of creativity or experiential, um, anyone kind of bringing something to, to, to the world, um, you know, should consider 
is that like, are, are we just creating an escape or are we actually fundamentally trying to inspire humans to reconsider how they choose to structure life around them? Right. Yeah, yeah Greg, that's what you, that's one of the things that attracted me to your project, Greg, because I know we had talked about that and, and you had explained that quite well, you know, in a way, almost saving the world <laughs> if we can one yeah. family at a time, you know. Well, right. You know, and that's like Vince is saying, it's creatives, uh, I think, that were inspired, you know, through through the creator to to do great things. And how do you what do you do with that? Right. I mean, there's people that go, oh, I'm going to create some art or I'm going to do this. Or I'm going to do this. Uh, but I think there's people like Vince and I and, and hopefully others that go, how can I take uh, this idea that I was inspired by that I was given and try and make the world just a little bit better person by person? Like Vince was saying with Meow Wolf, how do people leave their end of the day and feel like I'm going to be a better person or I'm going to enjoy life more by by things I can do for other people. And how do we do that with Jack Club Junction is, again, through the experiences that people have there, that we can really begin forming or, or know, redirecting where people are going right now. Because people right now, in general, the world right now is going down a very dark road, and we can all admit to that. How do we direct it towards something that's where people leave at the end of the day, and they're just friendlier to people? I mean, that's the biggest thing. How are you? How do you just be a nice person? How do you? Uh, how do you have more respect for the person that doesn't necessarily agree with you, but you're willing to respect their opinion and then and then have a conversation about it without screaming and yelling and fighting and warring? Right? I mean, how do we do that? And that's a big thing to uh, take on, but I think it could be done. And I think if there's more places like what Vince is doing with Meow Wolf and there's more places like Jack Love Junction that really focus on how do you take the worst and make it better, then I think people will go, oh, I've learned something from this. Well, I like, I like the idea of the, the lessons are, are part of the experience. So um, you can't help but learn things when you're there, whether you're a kid or an adult. And, and hopefully you'll leave you know, transformed in some way. And you're really kind of changing the way people think is really what we're trying to do. We're trying to make them aware and then change the way that they think and, um, and view life. You know, Vince actually said something, uh, very, very similar. You were very, uh, very eloquent in the way you said it, but if the refrigerator isn't a refrigerator, then maybe the house of eternal return isn't a house. Maybe my life doesn't have to be what it is. Yeah, exactly. If the, if the refrigerator can be different than what the refrigerator is supposed to be, then maybe the world can be different than what the way that the world is supposed to be. And if the world can be different than the way the world is supposed to be, maybe I can be different than the way I'm supposed to be. And it's it. all about it's all about cracking open possibility in people's thinking. Possibility only exists within the future. It only exists within the unknown. We're so anchored to our past and to our identity, and our identity is made up of a lot of past-based choices. And so the, the work really is introducing people to the unknown and the possibility of the unknown, which art, by the way, art has an amazing ability to do this. It's sort of the nature of art to do that kind of work. And, and through that, then the life in life as a whole has possibility. Life as a whole is actually unknown and is explorable and is discoverable um, rather than just the two hours that you spent at Meow Wolf. Yes. Love it. You're like the artist, philosopher, psychologist, 
I like that. Yeah. Businessman slash businessman. I, I had mentioned that Vince is kind of the modern day Salvador Dali with the these things he's doing. And uh, Dali was this fantastic artist that really kind of broke the mold, you know, and, and the guy's a philosopher as well. I mean, he really looked deeply at things around him. And uh, so I'm, I'm uh, you know, to be in the company of somebody like Vince is pretty darn Thanks. I really appreciate that. Thank you for that. I, I'm, I was in, growing up uh, and like in adolescence, I was, I was very inspired by Terrence McKenna. Absolutely. Like before it was art and before it was and long before it was business, you know, cracking the code of our own imagination and our own, our, our own hu- human consciousness. Like that, that's, that's where I'm anchored to. And that's what I care about the, the most. It just happens that art is a really good access point to the expansion of human consciousness and then it turned out that business was a really good way to empower art. So, but like, yeah, at the core, it's, this is all about, this is all about assisting in the paradigm shift of, for humans going from a physical reality to an imaginative one. That's, yeah. that's still like the, that's still the commitment that I, that I carry forward today. Yeah. I love it. And if you read Vince's bio, he, he, he lists the uh, dropout failure under your education. I can't remember what category that was under, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> If you accept that you're a failure just right off the bat, then like a lot. Your expectations are low. (laughs) It becomes very possible at that point. Oh, that's too funny. So uh, Zuckerberg has now introduced the world to Meta. Is Meta going to replace the real world? Now I have to say, whenever I say real world, do I have to put it in quotes? Because eventually the digital realm, the virtual world will actually be the real world? Sure. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pretty convinced that the physical world is a very important variable to the metaverse and one that the vast majority of companies thanks to just how investments have gone over the last four decades and where you know where people's minds are at the vast majority of people playing in the metaverse space have no clue how to incorporate the real world into the metaverse but i'm a big believer that the metaverse is the combination of digital information placed over top of physical space um, and, and that's where, you know, folks like Greg and myself and other people who are willing to, you know, venture into the, to the very difficult world of physical build, um, has a little bit of an inside lane when it comes to building out the infrastructure of the metaverse. Um, so, so, you know, I, so are you talking about altered, like an altered reality situation? Is that what you're talking about? Where you're in a physical space, but it's altered via digital? Yeah. Mixed, mixed reality, spatial computing, headset, AR, Okay. You, know, you can call it alternate, altered reality, alternate reality. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Like I think the internet, the internet all, all the time, everywhere is, is definitely where we're headed. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not without the physical anchors of materiality and time and space. Okay. Yeah. And so we need a device, it, we need a device to bring the two things together. Is that correct? We need some sort of device, whether it's a, a phone or an AR headset or glasses or con- contact lenses or... Is, is that right? We would need some way yeah. to combine. Com- yeah. Well, that would just be visual, I guess. So we need more than that. But are we going to walk? Are we all going to walk around in mech, like mech suits in the real world? I would say, I would say like at, at some point, the same conversation could have been had uh, about physical buildings. Oh. And, and somebody could have said, you know, in the future, there's going to be physical buildings every, everywhere. Yeah. And the, the question would be, well, are we going to, are we going to need steel and concrete everywhere? Are we going to, are we just going to be building a bunch of buildings and staying inside of a bunch of buildings? And it's like, yeah, you know, and, and at one point, like the built environment was just as much of an alternate reality 
as the as the digital environment might be or the digital layer might be. But now after a hundred years of living within buildings, like very extensively, it's we don't consider it an alternate reality anymore. It just it just is what it is. We consider it real. And so, it is real. Yeah. So we'll we'll need devices just as we've needed devices to, to keep our food cold and to light our houses and to, I mean, you could even consider your house itself a device. Sure. So like, yeah, of course we're going to need devices. Now at some point, maybe we don't need devices. That's, that's an even more interesting transhumanism conversation, but and, and, you know, we'll, probably, we'll probably get there too. I think there's an interesting uh, capability with that also or possibility with that how do you really tie the metaverse into your experience so how would we do that with jackalope junctions for instance so you can have the miners helmet with the mine the miners goggles right steampunk you have the miners goggles you put them on now you can see things in a park that you typically wouldn't see right so instead of, it's it's kind of like an advanced version of pepper's ghost uh you put these on you're going to see things that exist in a different dimension altogether that normally in the real world you yeah. don't see. We, we do have the park, the town. There is a whole dimensional rift within the town that people don't know about until you go on certain things or you learn about it. Mm. Um, so because there's yeah. this and, and, that's, and that's happening today. Like the Unreal Garden is a good example. I don't know if you guys know about Unreal Garden, but the Unreal Garden is, is a location-based experience that's consumer-facing that uses the HoloLens too. And it does exactly that. It, it, it allows people to, to pierce through the veil and, and experience the digital realm. So this is something that's like, you know, not only is it a theory, it's happening when people are buying, selling tickets to these experiences already. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, it's here. We're, uh, we're at the cusp of uh, a whole nother movement. And uh, Greg and Vince are the vanguard of this. We have other places around the country, obviously, that are doing this around the world, too. Uh, but it's my pleasure to have Greg and Vince here today to talk about this. And, you know, you can reach out to these guys if you have more questions or, you know, want to find out more or be involved in some way. Greg, how would people reach you? If they're on LinkedIn, they can look me up on LinkedIn and contact me that way. Or they can go to our Instagram, uh, Jackalope Junction or Acorn Entertainment Group, which is on Instagram as well. Or they can email me directly at greg at acornentertainmentgroup.com. Okay. How about you, Vince? For uh, uh, I would imagine probably for spatial activations, trying to, uh, yeah. or you have too much work already or what? No, reach out to me, uh, Vince at spatialactivations.com. You can also reach me at Vince at meowwolf.com. Uh, LinkedIn's also a good place for connection. Um, yeah, yeah hit, hit me up. I'm still interested in taking on clients, but also just interested in meeting cool people. So, Oh, that's great. Yeah. And, and I'm glad you said that because uh, I really appreciate meeting both of you guys. And it wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for this podcast. And the podcast wouldn't have happened so soon if it wasn't for the pandemic. So go figure. It's a very, very strange world we live in. Oh, I need to do a breakaway just real quick and give a shout out to Will, Tom, and Nate. They're three young guys who own ParlorCityFurniture.com. Um, they're just killing it over there, and they're now a sponsor of the podcast, which is awesome. They're helping me outfit a new video studio, and I have a, a cool standing desk. It's motorized, goes from seated to standing. There's pre-recorded or pre-programmed positions also, and we're going to be doing some upgrades in the podcast studio too. So they're super motivated, super cool. Uh, they want to help you. They're very excited about their business. They ship globally. You can find out more at ParlorCityFurniture.com. Back to the show. All right, listen, stand by. It's time for the questions. 
It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right, it is time for the questions. And uh, since uh, Greg is a three-timer now, and uh, Vince is a two-timer. I had to come up with something new for the uh, question segment, and we're trying to make them applicable to our discussion today. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, question number one, guys. Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Uh, we talked about creating immersive worlds both in the real world, in quotes, and in the virtual world. What place in nature have you experienced that provides an amazing experience. Oh my gosh, there's so many. I, I would I would say uh, out of the, the many, 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 many uh, places, one that stands out for me is Beastie Badlands in uh, in uh, Northwest New Mexico. Beastie Badlands is this, like stunning, weird uh, place with all sorts of hoodoos and weird playa and the sunsets. It, I've, I've never felt like I was on another planet quite like, uh, I did during sunset at Beastie Badlands. Wow. All right, Greg. Um, what about you? Yosemite. Oh, okay. I love Yosemite. You know, I have, I, I've been to some places I've been kind of all over and gosh, you know, Yosemite has a special place in our hearts. We, we, uh, go, we stay a week, we camp out, we can go put our chairs in, Tanaya Creek and just sit there and listen to the birds. And if, if what's really kind of cool is whenever so often a storm comes along and you can hear the thunder off in the distance and it just echoes through the canyon, it's just magical. I just, uh, I, you know, and you're surrounded by so much that the whole world just kind of slips away while you're, while you're there. Um, so, nice. you know, you get this occasional bear and stuff like that, but there's so many magical little places that you never get to see that you eventually discover if you just get on your bike and ride around. So it's a, truly a treasure. All right. Thanks. In some past episodes, I know we talked more about the storytelling aspect of it. So storytelling, uh, share our experiences and offer meaning. Um, our brains look for the story and experiences to make sense of them. And we learn from experiences of others. Our imagination uh, sees them as real, things that we can imagine. So uh, with sort of the idea of the story in mind, uh, in five words or less, if you can, describe the immersive, interactive story that does not yet exist that you would most like to experience. In five words or less. Uh, well, I would say, I'm just trying to keep, yeah, I mean, trying to keep it short. <laughs> Uh, um, dissolve the barriers between fiction and nonfiction. That's seven words. Wow. That's a tough one. Um, I've got, I, I think that the, this, the true story I want to experience if, if I kept it to five words or less, I'll do it in two words. It's time travel. Oh yeah. Would you want to experience it? Is that what you're saying? The big thing I want to go to is, uh, Gosh, there's so many places, but uh, I would I would say really to the day Walt Disney, the first day Disneyland opened up, and be able to uh, run to Walt Disney face to face and just shake his hand. That would be probably the coolest thing ever. Um, there's plenty of places to go. I I, I think you know whenever you watch a western. People go, gosh, I'd love to go to the Old West. Well, you know, it probably smelled really bad, so I'll I'll skip on going to places that are going to smell really bad. Because this whole idea behind what we're doing is so inspired by what Walt wanted to do to get away from the amusement parks and create a new experience. Uh, that's that's something that's inspired me most of my life since I was a kid was Walt Disney. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so these are kind of coaching questions. In a way, I got a part A and a part B, so here we go. One of my favorite sayings is originally by uh, George Bernard Shaw, 
and I changed it around <laughs> because because I'm better than George. <laughs> so I wanted to say it my way. <laughs> no. Um, so I like to say winning makes up for a multitude of blunders. That's one of my favorite sayings. So here's the question. What was your biggest blunder and what did you learn from it? My biggest blunder was being addicted to shoplifting Ooh. As in my, in my late twenties, early thirties. And what did I learn from it? I learned that I was devaluing myself by thinking that the only way I could get by was by, uh, you know, s- s- scheming the, scheming the, the system of retail. And it actually like made me, um, live a life of, um, of, uh, poorness you know I, like i was choosing poorness wow. in my life by being addicted to shoplifting Jeez, that was a that was a heavy answer vince wow i can't top them i feel really well bad. it's not a contest <laughs> um I mean, that's off i mean that's honest and awesome i love it um wow my biggest blunder um uh geez many of them uh you know one of the biggest ones that we have is pride pridefulness mm-hmm. uh, and because what Vince was touching on is that pride can really destroy uh, not only you, but your family and everything around you if, if you don't keep it in check. Being humble is not a bad thing. And having humility is not a bad thing at all. And I used to think that, well, if I'm humble and have humility and so on and so forth, then how do I get a job and really sell myself and so on and so forth? And and I had a lot of issues with pride. I think that's my biggest blunder was being prideful until we, and then we went to church one day to a, a local church uh, that's run by a pastor named Miles McPherson, who's a great guy. And he did a whole, his whole sermon was on not touching God's stuff. And it's a story about how the Levites were moving the ark and it starts to fall off the cart. And one of the sons, uh, one of the sons reaches out and tries to grab the thing f- from falling and, and, he instantly dies because uh, they're not trusting God in getting this thing moved. They're trying to do it on their own. And I think our biggest blunder is when we try to do things on our own, man, we can seriously mess up if we don't have, if we don't trust in spiritual and divine guidance of God or, or asking for uh, wisdom and discernment. Uh, a lot of people find themselves in a lot of trouble. I've seen a lot of examples of prideful behavior that has resulted in ruin. Um particularly with men who own businesses. I look at everything. Um, Some people might label things as good and bad or positive and negative, but I think everything is, is, could be labeled as positive, allows us to grow and learn and and become better people and, um, you know, or become stronger through the trials and tribulations or what have you. So, uh, but I, l- I like to kind of end as much, as much as I can on more of a positive note, if you will. So some people say you can't learn from successes. Uh, I happen to disagree with that. And if you do as well, what was one of your biggest successes? What did you learn about yourself or others or, or life? Uh, well, I mean, clearly like for me, opening the house of eternal return in Santa Fe and the success of that, um, taught me that imagination plus belief plus action equals manifestation equals delivery. And that like, there's really no limit to those variables. Anything you imagine that you believe in that you take action towards can be achieved and right. no matter how absurd or how, you know, how, how behind the eight ball you might feel 
Um, it's just those three pieces that are needed to, to make anything happen. I don't know. Napoleon Hill would love you. Mm. Greg, what do you have? Anything? Yeah. You know, I, I've done so many things in my life that have either failed or succeeded, but I, I think the one thing is more on a personal level is that so many years ago, so we live on five acres out in East County of San Diego and my wife really wanted a barn <laughs> and we couldn't afford to have someone come out and build the barn. So I put on my old architecture school hat and drew something up and uh, she wanted it to be a thousand square feet. So we, we dug and dug and dug for all the footings and, and I built a thousand square foot barn on our property. Um, I had some help from some friends. She wanted it as a gathering place. We've had plenty of family gatherings. We've had weddings in there. We've had uh, vintage markets in there, all sorts of stuff. And it's really quite magical. We added antique chandeliers for practically nothing that I rewired and fixed up and hung up in the barn. So we've got these fabulous chandeliers up there and it's just a magical space. Uh, so I, I'd say that's one of my biggest successes was say, thinking to myself, there's no way I could build a barn. Yeah. What'd you learn from it? Uh, that... You know, I can pretty much do anything. I really, if I give it a shot and not be afraid to give it a try, I can, I can do it. Sounds like you guys learned the same thing. Listen, Don't give up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Listen, that's why we call it going boldly. And that's why you guys are here. Thank you so much. I appreciate the time, man. Great, great conversation. Thanks, Greg, for uh, thank you for joining. It's it's a it's a pleasure to to be uh, on this podcast with you and Russ. Thanks for thanks for making it happen. Anytime. I, I well, lo- I love you guys. It's not just a pleasure. For it's a real honor to be on this with you, Vince. And and awesome, I'm just blessed to uh, know you guys and and get to know you guys better over time and uh, really do things that we can to have a, a positive impact on on the world around us all right great all right thank you guys and we're out that concludes another episode of going boldly i hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you can put into action immediately or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode and i'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast please share it with them you might be the important link that will change their life for the better Subscribing means you will not miss an episode and it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests, or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.